Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 968. I didn't know what to make of the story, so I tried to change the subject. How did you learn to listen to stones? You'd be amazed the things you hear if only you take time to listen. She gestured to the steam bed strewn with stones. Try it. You never know what you might hear. Not sure what game she was playing at, I looked around for a stone, then cuffed up my shirt sleeve and reached into the water. Listen, she prompted earnestly. Thanks to my studies with Elodin, I had a high tolerance for the ridiculous. I held the stone to my ear and closed my eyes. I wondered if I should pretend to hear a story. Then I was in the water, wet to the skin and spitting it. I spluttered and struggled to my feet while Denna laughed so hard she doubled over at the waist, barely able to stand. I moved toward her, but she skipped away with a little shriek that left her laughing even harder. So I held off chasing and made a show of wiping water from my face and arms. Giving up so easily, she taunted. Are you so sudden doused? I lowered my hand into the water. I was hoping to find my stone again, I said, pretending to look around for it. Denna laughed, shaking her head. You'll not lure me in that easily. I'm serious, I said. I wanted to hear the end of its story. What story was that? She asked, teasingly, not coming any closer. It was the story of a girl who trifled with a powerful arcanist, I said. She mocked him and she scoffed at him. She laughed at him full scornfully. He caught her one day in a brook and rhyming he did quell her fears. And then the girl forgot to look behind her and it led to tears. I grinned at her and pulled my hand out of the water. She turned in time for the wave to hit her. It was only as high as her waist, but it was enough to unbalance her. She went under in a swirl of dress and hair and bubbles. The current carried her to me, and I helped her to her feet, laughing. She came to the surface, looking three days drowned. Not fair, she sputtered indignantly. Not fair. I disagree, I said. You're the fairest water maid I hope to see today. She splashed at me. Flatter all you like. The truth remains for God to see. You cheated. I used honest trickery. She tried to dunk me then, but I was ready for it. We struggled for a while until we were pleasantly breathless. Only then did I realize how close she was, how lovely, how little our wet clothing seemed to separate us. And with that scintillating passage, we end the page. I'm your co-host, Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I actually, I think that he, it was fair. I think that was fair. Like, she was no, she was, like, like, was she really honest? Like, doesn't seem like she was honest. He, he used guile. She. They both used guile, you know. Exactly. Honest trickery as opposed to... Maybe possibly this could tell us her attitude towards magic, but I don't think so. I honestly think that it's a way to make the, the meter fit because uh, in case you hadn't noticed, uh, toward the bottom of half the page, they begin to rhyme again. Yeah. I mean, I think it's simply the fact that he's using a tool that she can't use, right? That's what makes it cheating. Well, she uses the the hair magic, the knotting. Mm. But wait, what? Ma- wait, what is? What does? What does Quoth use that she doesn't? Sympathy. Oh, that's how he, he makes the wave happen. Yeah, he makes the oh. wave with magic. He's yeah. using sympathy to. You know to what? Pull the water. I don't. I don't see sympathy as being trickery. You're using the skills that you've learned in life. Spoken like someone who would use base treachery. What is base treachery? Trickery. Deceit. Okay, but she's oh, also yeah. using trickery and deceit. This is all trickery no, and that's deceit. That's right. They're both tricksters. They yeah, both cool use what that, it, and, and she's using her wiles. Does it. <laughs> that's the thing, though. She is using her wiles. So 
I said yesterday earlier in this chapter that Denna's behavior to me is a little bit suspicious. Like she's, she's playing a role more than she usually does. And even though they start rhyming and I read the rhyming, whenever they rhyme, it's sort of like them becoming unguarded and, and simpatico. Uh, I find her behavior a little bit strange. Like she's manipulating him. And I find this like tussling in the stream is such a storybook way of like flirting of, of getting close to someone and of, of generating sexual charge. And Denna is leading it. And I can't figure out if I think that it's like just Rothfuss enjoying fun with the trope and adding sympathy to the mix. Or if Denna has like done this because she is laying the, uh, she's, she, that he's become a mark to her and that she is going through the motions of, uh, you know, becoming desirable so that she can get Quoth to do what he wants. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. As I've said, I think that she has not forgiven him for what happened in their last exchange and that to her, it has been confirmed that he is in fact, just like everyone else, uh, just interested in her for what she can offer him instead of her for herself. She let herself be seen and felt betrayed. I don't know. It seems like they're genuinely enjoying each other's company. It does seem that way. And I think that's what's making Nick suspicious. Oh. I, I, I think I'm with you, Jordana, that they're just having a nice time in the stream. But I can see why Nick is suspicious. I want them to just be having a nice time. Why can't they just have nice things? Well, because Denna's never been so overtly sexual before. Also, mm. with Quoth, uh, anyway. Mm. She's the lady who's getting older, okay? People change. A lot when they're a teenager. I think she has been, like, sexually forward with him in the past. She's been flirtatious, and she said things like, steal me, which are definitely sexually charged. But to uh, orchestrate a a wet t-shirt contest uh, or a wet wrestling match in the stream, that's that's more forward than we've seen so far. I mean, maybe, but have you considered, Nick, that she's been trying to get this guy to, like, make a move on her? for like two books and it's not working. So she has to keep up and be anti because he's a bit thick. Well, so that's what it makes me. This will give me the big question mark above my head because I almost, I wonder like she obviously is attracted to him. Right. But does she actually want him to put the moves on her? I, yes. I see it as kind of like a, she, she wants him to do it because she is actually attracted to him. But if he did, it would be a betrayal. Like she wants him to do it, but she also kind of doesn't want him to do it, you know? And the more I think about it, the more I think that's like a really interesting and tragic place to be. I mean, I see what you're saying here, but I actually think that if that is what's going on with her, then that would make, that would put her in the uncomfortable position of embodying a kind of toxic trope about women that I don't think that this book is aiming for of the, like the, the tease who's going to like get him all hot and bothered and say, actually, no. And how could you ever think that I wanted you to do that? I don't think that's what she is doing because that would be playing into something that I think is kind of like sexist and, and weird. Well, and I wonder if that is part of why it's taking so long to write book three, because Rothfuss has realized that that's what he's writing into. <sighs> I think that Denna by design plays with some of those sexist tropes. I think that Denna is, very mindfully not a sexist caricature um i do think that there's only so far you can get when 
having a character who is intentionally, their interiority is intentionally kept mysterious from the main character who is attracted to her uh, and who also has explicitly, you know, is motivated at least partially by uh, past sexual violence uh, and trauma. I think there's only like, that's a difficult place to be in. And it's also a place that I think when writing in the, I mean, let's at least in the nineties, right? Like most of this book was written before long before publishing. Right. So when writing in the nineties, this was uh, if not well-trod ground, it was at least like sort of taken as read that these were things that were a bit less, uh, less troublesome. Like it was sort of standard, it was table stakes back then. And so to, have this character that is intentionally uh, picking at those those tropes, I think would have been a progressive move at the time, but the times have changed. And now there's, I can see how someone as, uh, let's say, uh, intellectual as Rothfuss would want to make sure that he's tackling it with, uh, with the right amount of taste, I suppose. Sure. I can see how that would be another wrinkle that's making it difficult to to wrap up. Okay, I see what you're saying here. I don't think that's what's going on. I'm going to go with Tecum's razor here, which is that Quoth is, like, I think that Denna, despite the fight that they had, I think that Denna has still decided that Quoth is not like the suitors that she normally has to fend off because she is actually romantically interested in him. She's not just using him and he's not just using her. And so, and she is trying to give him the hint that no, like this is an okay, okay thing to pursue. You're not going to scare me off if you pursue it. And Quoth, because he is so gun shy and because he has seen the ways in which so many other men have failed to win her over is failing to recognize the signs that she is genuinely attracted to him and would like him to kiss her. This is complicated. I keep like agreeing and disagreeing in my brain. Now I don't know. I'm back on the fence. I mean, that's where I was going to end up anyway, let's be honest, but it, it's still very confusing. <laughs> I want to touch once more on the rhyming before we leave, because I think there is something very special in the rhyming. The only person he ever rhymes with is, is Denna, right? Well, and Flurian. Oh yeah, true. Well, I mean that doesn't that doesn't damage the theory. Like, there's something supernatural potentially about it. And also, this is I think the first time that in the in the prose, the characters acknowledge that they are rhyming. Yes, it's true. As he says, and rhyming like, in the in the fears, story so. diegetically, as Nick loves yeah. to say. Yeah. So, do they? Is it a game they play? Like, do they know that they're doing it and they both chuckle about it, or is it something that is? Because I always read it as being something that they sort of are doing unknowingly, mm-hmm. and it's a symbol of some kind of supernatural synchronicity. Yeah, it does change the valence of it if it's something that they are doing consciously, or maybe they've noticed that they're doing it unconsciously and they think that they're doing it consciously but it's actually not conscious that it's motivated by something else well we have a letter today Mailbag. this is from rachel last name first initial s which will become important later hi guys in a recent episode you discussed quoth finding the old yellish story not reels in the archives jeremy mentioned what a cool fantasy idea it was to have a culture who used knotted string to communicate I actually think that Rothfuss may have based this on the Incas. 
I was lucky enough to hike part of the Inca Trail a few years ago, and we had an incredible guide who taught us a lot about their history and culture. The Incas, apparently, didn't have a written language, but did have a method of communicating using knotted strings. The location of the knots, the length and color of the string, each had a particular significance. In order to keep their messages confidential, only certain people in the empire were trained to be able to read the messages, which would be carried by messengers along the Inca Trail between cities. When the Spanish arrived, one of the first things they did was target and eliminate everybody who was able to read the messages as an effective way of disrupting communications. Today we have some preserved knotted strings, but no idea how to read them. The guide told us it is one of history's great mysteries. Thought you would find this interesting. Thanks for everything you continue to do to bring your wonderful selves to our ears every day. Signed, Rachel. That is both super cool and also very upsetting. Yeah, totally. And like, it's it's one of those things we're never going to be able to solve unless someone makes a time machine, right? Because like, no one no one can translate it. the The Wikipedia page is Quipu. Uh, I think that's how you say that. Q U I P U. If an interested listener wants to look it up, there's pictures of them. Uh, it's very cool. And a reminder that nothing you can imagine is cooler than than exists in history. It's true. And also, uh, read your history because you can get inspiration from that. Absolutely. All kinds of cool stuff. Thanks for writing, Rachel. Indeed. Uh, That sounds like a really cool trip. Listeners, maybe you can take a cool trip with us on tomorrow's page. Of the wind. wind.